Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. I ventured to Annapolis, Maryland with Rick Klein, where we sat down with Maryland Governor and potential presidential candidate Larry Hogan. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you, you very much. Are, you're something of a unicorn. Man. Um, <laughs> so you are one of the most popular governors in America, and you are a Republican, and you are a Republican who just won a double-digit victory in the state of Maryland, which is far from a, a Republican state. Um, you were also uh, uh, been known to be critical of Donald Trump. So uh, we're, we're excited to find out what the heck is going on with, uh, with, with Governor Hogan. How much time do you have? I mean, <laughs> that's uh, quite a mouthful. But, 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 but I've got to say, I, 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 it caught my eye. I uh, just learned that you're on your way to New Hampshire. You're going to be speaking at the Politics and Eggs Breakfast, which has been kind of a first stop or one of the first stops for presidential candidates for as long as I've been covering politics, and you were just in Iowa. Well, look. So, so <laughs> just, let's, just, let's, just, let's just get it straight we out. We didn't even and get it, to the first question then, first. Then, now we're then, jumping and, to the second question. And then we'll move on. We'll move on. But what, what are the odds that you run for president and you challenge Donald Trump uh, for the Republican nomination? I, you know, I'm not a uh, political prognosticator, so I don't want to give odds. Uh, I'm not too good at giving odds. Uh, let me just back to your first question, by the way. Nate Silver said there were a 96% chance of me losing by 12 to 16 points in my race for governor. So odds makers aren't always <laughs> right. Because Is that your first race in or your 2014, yeah, okay, we yeah. pulled off the biggest uh, surprise upset in, in the country. And then this, this past year, this in, in November, uh, in, a, in a deep blue state, two to one uh, Democrat uh, to Republican, uh, in a blue year with a blue wave, largest Democratic turnout ever, I got more votes than any governor in the history of the state. So uh, we're proud of that, that I was able to reach across and, and to get so much support from independents and Democrats. Um, and it's because I think we've, in, in a bipartisan way, we've tried to come up with common sense solutions and work together with people regardless of party. And I think that's the message. That's what's not happening in Washington. Um, and it's really why, uh, now that I've been reelected, uh, that I've said I wanted to be more a part of the, of the national discussion because I think the politics in Washington is broken, and uh, the, the, the divisiveness and dysfunction um, I'm really fed up with. And just 30 miles down the road here in Annapolis, we've taken a different path and done things differently and accomplished, you know, we've taken on some big problems and really gotten things done. And I'm working with a legislature that's more than two thirds uh, Democrat majorities. Uh, and I'm a Republican governor, and we found a way. Uh, to meet in the middle, to find common ground, uh, and to not, not go to the extremes of either party, uh, but to just come up with, with real solutions. So, uh, you know, I was in Iowa as the vice chairman of the National Governors Association. I'll be, I'm the, gov- uh, the chairman-elect. I'll take over in July in Salt Lake City. So I had to be there. It wasn't an accidental trip. It wasn't I, I just wanted to be out in sub-zero temperatures, <laughs> in, you know, the end of February. Uh, and uh, Politics and Eggs, uh, it was very nice of them. They reached out, I think, end of January after my inauguration speech and invited me to come up to talk. It's uh, an iconic uh, political thing at St. Anselm's, and um, I'm just excited to get up there and share some of my views. But it's, it doesn't mean uh, it's any kind of a, an official announcement for anything. It just means um, uh, you know, they asked me to come speak about my views and what I think about the, 
direction of the country and the Republican Party, and um, I'm happy for the opportunity. Well, uh, I'm sure you have lots of requests from all over the country. Um, it just happens to be politics and eggs in, in, in New Hampshire. It but, doesn't hurt. But, but, <laughs> but, but, but uh, what is it? Let me ask it in a, in a different way, sure. because uh, you've, you've suggested, you've been very critical of, of the president. Um, you've also, you're also a, enough of a political prognosticator to know that he's very tough yeah. to, to be yeah. in a Republican primary. Sure. But what would it take for you? Because I, I know that a lot of people have been reaching out to you and encouraging you to challenge Trump. And in fact, saying that you you need to challenge Trump, that there needs to be uh, an alternative for Republicans. So what would it take for you to answer those people and say, yes, I'm going to do it? Well, the way I, there have been a number of people who've approached me, and this this really is not one of those things you always hear about. It's not one of these fake you know, draft myself uh, no, routines. No, I, I, it's not I, like it's it's not that I'm uh, I'm really trying to run, but I'm telling you I'm not. I, it really was not on my uh, radar screen at all. I, I was very I was focused on getting reelected in this tough state in a tough year. Um, I'm really focused on. We accomplished a lot in four years in Maryland. We got a lot more to do. Uh, I was just sworn in, uh, just end of January, and we're in the middle of a legislative session where we have a lot of things to get done. Um, so that's what my focus is here on, on Maryland. Um, but a lot of people have been approaching me from all directions. I think because of uh, maybe the way we've governed and the way we've been successful in appealing to a wider group of people. Um, and, I, and I believe that if the Republican Party is going to be at all successful, um, we've got to find a way to appeal to more people and reach a wider audience. You know, I, for example, I won the women vote, which very few Republicans across the country in this last election did. Um, I, I uh, split the Hispanic vote. I won the Asian vote. I got nearly a third of the African-American vote in, in uh, one of the states with the highest minority populations against a leader of the national NAACP. Now, no Republican has ever accomplished anything like that. So people are talking about it. And I so have what does it take for you to make the leap? Here's the, here's the thing. I have a day job I'm focused on, yep. and now's not the right time to even be you know, talking seriously about considering that because I'm focused on my legislative session. I, I believe that what we're doing here and the, and the message, that the way we've governed and the way that um, I've focused on getting things done is uh, I think our message would appeal to a plurality of people in America. I think most people are fed up with the partisanship and the divisiveness on both sides with the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. And, the, and they're somewhere in the middle, and they're somewhat frustrated with the broken politics. Um, the problem is that's not the way our system works. And so you have the problem of a, of a primary setup uh, that makes it nearly impossible and very, very difficult. So I, I, wouldn't, I believe that some of these things need to be uh, in the public discussion, I think we need to be debating about the future direction of the country, about the future of my party, uh, which direction we head. Uh, And I think we need some people that will stand up in the Republican Party and say when the president is wrong or when uh, we disagree with things that he's doing. And I've not been afraid to do that. Uh, But it's nearly an impossible. You know, honestly, it's very, very tough. We have uh, a... uh, Somebody has not beaten a member of the same party as a sitting president since 1884. And uh, it's, a, it's a massive undertaking. He's still very popular in the, by, among Republican uh, primary voters. And I would not just go on some fool's errand uh, just to try to, you know, uh, 
it, uh, run around the country and increase my name recognition or get on television. Um, I, I, that's somebody else can try to do that. I'm not. I'm going to stay focused on on Maryland. But having said that, if 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 things were to change and things do have a way of changing in this volatile environment that we're in, um, you know, then then um, you know all bets are off. I, what I've said is, although I'm not pursuing it, um, I, I would not rule it out. It's not. You can't ever say never. And uh, you know, you've got to be prepared for whatever uh, opportunities might present themselves. I want to get into the, some of the details of your critique, your criticisms of Trump, because yeah. they're not new. I mean, you, you said this during the campaign. You didn't vote for him. Right. Uh, wrote in your father's name, as a matter of fact, as, as I understand it. Um, and I saw you quoted recently as saying that you were concerned that he's shrinking the base. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what Trumpism has done to the Republican Party from where you sit, 30 miles east of D.C.? Well, it was devastating to, uh, to the state of Maryland where I sit. Uh, a perfect example is we, in our race, um, I was able to survive because uh, people re- knew who I was and they realized I was completely different from Trump. So I was able to survive, not only survive, but win uh, walking away in a, with a big margin in a blue state. However, we lost, uh, Republicans lost all the way down the ballot. Uh, we lost multiple county executives. We all lost eight members of the legislature. We just got wiped out. Uh, and it was sending a message to the president. Um, we did a poll uh, late in the campaign that said 48% of all Marylanders would vote against all Republicans just to send a message to Donald Trump. And they did. They made an exception for me, uh, but they voted against many of really good folks. Uh, just because they were Republicans. And that's the kind of thing. It happened elsewhere around the country. Of course, we lost the House of Representatives. We lost some of my uh, gubernatorial colleagues. Uh, we lost uh, legislatures. My, my friend Chris Sununu in New Hampshire uh, was uh, sort of joking with me, saying uh, he needs some advice about how to handle a, a Democratic majority in the legislature because he lost control of the legislature for the first time. Um, Democrats now control you know, both houses of the legislature there. He, he used to have Republicans that he worked with. So, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a repudiation against the president and his policies. <clears throat> now, he's still popular among Republican primary-based voters, but there was you know, almost universal rejection in the general election. Do you think he loses? So my concern is, uh, right now I think the, some of the latest polling shows 56% of the people in the country would not vote for President Trump under any circumstances. Well, it's, it's, it's hard to win, it's hard to win a general election when 56% of the people would not even consider voting for you. Um, but so far, that hasn't bothered Republican primary voters. They're like, we, we, we like the president anyway. Um, uh, you know, I, I believe that if we keep uh, alienating voters, uh, that, that, that's going to get worse. And so I've done just the opposite. It's about trying to appeal to more voters. And uh, instead of dividing uh, and... Uh, and uh, alienating, we, we've tried to be more inclusive and try to, you know, come up with a message and with solutions that a majority of people agree with. Well, I think the Democrats, by the way, are doing the same kinds of things. You know, this might be a perfect opportunity uh, for the Democrats to have a really successful election. However, they're, it's almost a mirror image. They're going really far to the left and focusing, you know, on socialism and, you know, some pretty crazy ideas that are, again, driving all those folks in the middle to say, uh, you know, I'm not happy with the president, but I don't like 
any of this stuff that those guys are talking about. So it's, 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 it's going to be an interesting election. Should, should President Trump, in your view, face a primary, even if it's an uphill battle? Bill Weld has talked about doing it as a, as a possibility. You're in the mix. There's others who are out there. Just then as a matter of, of principle, do you see value in him facing a primary, having to answer from another part of the party? I think it's very important that, uh, you know, that people in the party speak up and talk about their differences and when they disagree, whether that's a, an actual candidacy or not. I'm not sure how important it is. I'm, Bill Weld is a good guy. He's out there now. I believe he is running. Uh, John Kasich has talked about it, others. Um, you know, Jeff Flake and, and Sass and a number of others have been in the mix. People are encouraging me. Um, I, I, if it were just uh, somebody's trying to encourage me to run just to hurt the president so that a Democrat can win the general election, I'm not interested in that. I, I'm not out to just hurt the president or hurt the party. Uh, but if it's let's talk about uh, why these issues are, 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 are this is not the way to go and here's a better direction or here's a better solution, then I think it could be a valuable thing. Um, but um, whether it could be successful or not is the question. So if, if the Democrats nominate somebody from the left of the party who's going to campaign on things like universal Medicare, yeah. free uh, college tuition, um, you know, a, 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 an agenda that would be far to the left. Yeah. And you have Donald Trump, uh, once again, as the Republican nomination. Do you see a path for a, uh, a third-party challenge? You have, you have two parties, as you said, mirror images, uh, not, not speaking to the potentially not speaking to the vast middle? Well, it's an interesting uh, question. I, I think there, uh, it's, it's very difficult, and you know, we've had some, some fairly uh, you know, active uh, you know, middle-center uh, uh, third-party challenges before that haven't been successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's a, that's also a dif- difficult path, but there are. I think in the last election we had some of that. I, I think there was a pretty good chunk of people you who said two of the most unpopular. Yeah, nominees you, you, of all time. you really had you, two of the most <laughs> unpopular folks as the nominees, and I I felt this way myself. And I know a lot of people I talked to said these are the choices we have. Uh, this is the best that the Democrats can come up with, and this is the best that the Republicans. And they they just it, may, it was a choice between a lesser of two evils for many people. Um, we may be looking at that same kind of a thing. So perhaps. There's a path down the middle. I think that's where a lot of people are, but whether or not you could put a successful campaign together is a different story. I mentioned your father a moment ago who passed away um, yeah. about a year, year and a half ago. Condolences on yeah, that. Yeah, thank I know, you. I know he meant a lot to you. He sure did, yeah. Him. Uh, this is the Baltimore Sun. Oh, wow. July 24th, 1974. Mm-hmm. Hogan to vote to impeach. Right. And at the time, um, Congressman Larry Hogan uh, came out. This was right on the eve of articles of impeachment being offered by Democrats who controlled right. the Judiciary Committee. And sitting on the Judiciary Committee, he said that he thought that the president should be impeached to move from office. Right. He thought that he was part of a conspiracy uh, and that he should be held to account for it. And he voted for those articles of right. impeachment. I believe the only Republican on the committee to do so. He was the very first Republican in Congress uh, to come out for President Nixon's impeachment. And he was the only Republican in Congress to vote for all three articles of impeachment. And it was an incredibly uh, uh, difficult decision for him. It was also a, a, a big part of the Watergate. Uh, you, know, it, you know, Nixon, I think in his memoir, says... When Larry Hogan and the uh, Democrats on the Judiciary, Judiciary Committee came out, that's when he realized that the, the, the tables had turned. Right. But my dad was a guy who was a Nixon supporter and, a, and a, a loyal Republican who was fighting to make sure that the process was fair. 
And he will, on the Judiciary Committee, pushed back when he thought that the Democrats were being too partisan, which I think we might be seeing some of that now, when they were overreaching and over the top and not allowing um, the witnesses to, be, to, to answer the questions or they wouldn't allow the president's folks to submit their testimony. And so he, he was all about reaching, defining the truth and seeking justice uh, and not it was not supporting, uh, you know, the attacks on the, by the Democrats and not, uh, you know, being the defender on the Republicans. He just was, my dad was a former FBI agent and a Georgetown trained lawyer who, who really liked Nixon. I uh, thought he did a great job with China and some of his foreign policy um, and was not out to impeach the president. But he saw all of the evidence uh, and reached the conclusion. And it was an incredibly moving testimony. It was, their videos are out now sometimes when they're showing, mm-hmm. in some of the current discussions, they show that. And he's, he's nearly in tears, and he's pounding on his fist on the table talking about uh, you know, that, that his, the president was guilty of impeachable offenses and should be removed from office. And this was hard to do. I mean, he was the, he was the first Republican to do it, lost friends, uh, including his colleagues in Congress, the, the, the wrath of uh, Nixon in the White House and the uh, anger of the Republican National Committee. And he really, he knew he was going to uh, pay a huge price um, with his party. He knew he was giving up his political career. Uh, but he did what he thought was the right thing for the nation. And at, at, at first he really did pay a big price. Uh, but years later, he has a special place in history, and people, even the ones that were mad at the time, say, what incredible courage uh, that your dad showed uh, in, in, in coming out like he did. And, you know, they question now whether we have, you know, the, those kinds of profiles and courage in Congress today. Could, yeah, could I don't you, know. <laughs> could you foresee circumstances that would lead you to do the same thing? You're not a member of the House, yeah, obviously, that, but, but could you see yourself being a Republican that would stand up and say Donald Trump should be impeached? Well, the difference is, as I said, uh, you know, he was in a position where he uh, not only was had to make that decision, yeah, but, he, but he saw all the evidence and was, yeah. was sitting in judgment. I haven't seen any evidence. I don't know what the status of the, of the Mueller report is. I, I, don't, I, I haven't sat in any of the I know what I read in the paper or what I see on television, um, uh, but I, it's, it's, there's a lot of noise out there. And I, what I do see is some of the same things that happen here, overreached by the Democrats, maybe overplaying their hand, going a little bit crazy with so many investigations and so many different directions, and Republicans... Uh, you know, turning a blind eye and, and, and trying to just say there's nothing here. Uh, and what we don't have is somebody that's saying, let's get to the facts. And, you know, one of the things my dad said, which I do believe very strongly, and he said in this testimony was, no man is above the law, not even the president of the United States. And um, that's still just as true today as it was then. So, I mean, I think we need to see, you know, what the, where the facts lead us. And justice needs to be served. Uh, but, you know, I'm not in a position to make that decision today. There are a lot of facts out there now, as you know. I mean, the, the, the chairman there's of the House a, Judiciary... There's Judiciary, a lot of hype out there. No, I'm, but there's also, <laughs> there's, there's also facts. I mean, we, he, he what, publicly has meddled in the Department of Justice. Yeah. I mean, that as your, your dad, the FBI agent, I don't right. know if he had any reaction in real time as this was going on yeah. while he was still with us. Attacks on the FBI. Attacks, I, on, I, attacks on the FBI. Firing this, Cohen. It, yeah. What, what Cohen has alleged with some evidence about payoffs, yeah. a, a campaign finance violation, a payoff scheme to a porn star, 
Does any of that reach the level of impeachable offense? Well, it all bothers me a lot, um, and it's for Congress to decide whether it reaches the level of impeachment. I mean, it was interesting to see Nancy Pelosi even came out today and said she didn't think uh, yet that she was ready to uh, right. take any because action. Because it's not worth it, she said. It's, well, he's it? not worth it. Well, he's not worth it. It's not worth it. Look, I just don't want to put the country Congress through it. Democrats want to run against a wounded Donald Trump instead of... Well, that's possible, you know. instead of a, somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I really think that uh, we need to get this Mueller investigation completed. Uh, I believe that that's a fair process. I believe that he's a respectable guy who's doing his best to get to the facts. I think that's a better way of getting to it than having partisan politicians on both sides playing up to a TV audience. Uh, you know, some of these hearings are just a circus, right, on both sides. It was, it was almost disgusting to watch some of this stuff. Um, and, and you have to cut through all that stuff and get to what really happened. And, yes, if there was, if there was real wrongdoing uh, that reaches that level, then they need to pursue it. But, uh, you know, we have to get to the, get to the facts. So what, what should the – I'm going to ask you an overly broad question – uh, what, what, what should be the vision of the Republican Party? You obviously don't like the, you know, what, what Donald Trump has, has put forward. He's put forward. Well, some of it I did. Some, yeah. Well, so what, what, yeah, so, so look, I, you know, there's, it's not like I disagree with every single thing, thing that Trump stands for. Um, I think some of his policies are bad. And I think uh, the way he conducts himself and the way he uh, goes about trying to push his agenda is bad. Um, I think he's his own worst enemy, and um, I, I wish he w- uh, somebody would take his phone away from him. I wish he he, he never tweeted. Um, I don't like the way he talks to people or about people. Uh, I don't like the two-hour rambling speeches that are all over the map and the, the name-calling and all of that. Um, and I don't like some of the policies. Uh, but... Look, he, he, the, he has done some things, um, the ta- the, some of the tax cuts, the, the stimulating the economy. I mean, we do have a very robust economy. People are working. You know, the, the, the unemployment is low. So it's, it's not like uh, everything that he's doing is wrong. Those are some of those things are basic Republican principles that I would agree with. Um, I think he could be more successful uh, without all of this other stuff. <laughs> Uh, that, that, that is hurting him. But, you know, infrastructure is a big one that they said they were coming in. All the Republican and Democratic governors think it's a priority. The Congress seems to think it's a priority. Uh, the, the presidents came in and said it was the first thing they were going to focus on, rebuilding America's infrastructure. Uh, it's two years later. We haven't done anything. Why is he so popular among the Republican base? I mean, he is, you know, he, he talks about being the most popular yeah. Republican among Republican president in, in, in history. He, well, but, you know, back to he's your, up there. I mean, he may not be that, but he's, he's up there. You know, well, you know, let's go back to your, your, your premise at the beginning of our discussion. Yeah. Uh, in Maryland, I'm uh, 49 points ahead of the president as far as the favorability, yeah. 20 points ahead of him among conservatives, and 12 points ahead of him yeah. among Republican-based yeah, primary voters. He's never going to win Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> like so, so he's really popular, uh, but he can't catch me. <laughs> but um, it, look, I, I think there are some people that, uh, that he has a certain segment of the Republican Party that's maybe 30%. You know, again, I'm not reading every poll, uh, but that, that really is uh, they're hardcore. 30% of the whole country or 30%? 30% of the Republican Party that are hardcore, uh, you know, Trump supporters. And they're. Shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and he's. Well, they, they're, they're, you know, they're out there, MAGA hat wearing, build a wall, you know, they just love the president. But there's others that are like, he's the Republican president. Um, we want to support the president. We, we, we don't like the liberal Democrats. 
Uh, we don't like, we think the, the media and the, the left-wing guys are just attacking him, so they're rushing to his defense, right? But that's a very soft, fluid mm-hmm. group. And when you think about it, the president, um, you know, he, he, he was in the 20s in most of the primaries. He just had 16 other people running against him. And then, uh, and then he became president. He kind of surprised himself and everybody else, I think, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this, at this point in the last election, there wasn't a soul in America that would have predicted he was going to yeah, be president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> including, including Donald Trump. Including him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, 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 it surprises me the strength he still has. But I don't think it's as strong as people think. Uh, you quoted um, Nancy Pelosi a moment ago on the question of impeachment. A quote from Paul Ryan in the last day or two that, that caught my eye. Um, he said at a speech down in Florida, if this is about Donald Trump and his personality, talking about the election, he isn't going to win it. I didn't see that. Um, I'm a big fan of Paul Ryan. I just, had, I just talked to Paul Ryan just a, a week or so ago. We just hired his communications director to be our communications director. Mike Ricci just joined us. In fact, today's his first day. Uh, <laughs> But uh, Paul is a, is a great guy. I didn't hear the speech in Florida, but um, I, I think that's, a, that's an interesting point to make. I mean, the, I think it's one of the reasons why even people who agree with the policy don't like uh, the personality, right? I mean, it, 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 there are people who say, hey, I'm, I'm for strong border security and I'm for uh, you know, tax cuts and I'm for a lot of these things, but they still are turned off by the personality, especially women, uh, which... You know, there's a huge gap, and you can't win a national election if you're turning off, you know, all the women in America. And uh, a lot of that is tone, and it's the things he does and the things he says, uh, but it's, it's the personality. It's just grating, whereas, you know, some white males seem to say, it's okay, I, I like the personality or, you know, the aggressive nature, but many other people, it, 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 it rubs them completely the wrong way. I know you have to go. One, one more specific. Um, you've been very critical of the uh, the national emergency. Uh, obviously, suing to uh, yeah. uh, to uh, over it. Um, what what is your assessment, though, of the situation at the border? Because we have now seen yeah. this incredible spike over the past month in terms of illegal uh, right. border crossing. Is there a crisis at the border? What what do you think should be done? So there, there, we have a huge problem at the border. And I actually uh, did an op-ed on uh, you know, CNN, and I went out and pushed for uh, a resolution of this thing because Maryland was impacted more than any other state. We had more than 200,000 federal workers that didn't get paid for 35 days. It, took, it was, it was uh, you know, uh, $200 million out of our economy. During the shutdown. During the shutdown. Uh, so... Um, the shutdown was terrible, and the argument was about semantics. So under, in 2015, uh, Democrats voted for more border security under Obama before uh, President Trump came in. But when Trump came in pushing for the wall and the campaign promise, they didn't want to invest in it. So I pushed for tougher border security um, and a bipartisan resolution. I wanted the $5.7 billion for, for border security. But not the forcing it all to be about a wall. Because, you know, Donald Trump was saying Mexico was going to build the wall. Mexico is going to pay for it. Well, Mexico and Nancy uh, and Chuck were not going to pay for $5.7 billion for a wall. But to the Democrats, I said, you know, we can't have open borders. And there is a real problem. We do have human trafficking. We do have drugs coming across. We do need additional security at the border. But let's let the experts decide how that, in some places... It has to be a physical barrier. 
as you know, President Obama built 700 miles of physical barrier that all the Democrats voted for. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some cases, a wall makes no sense whatsoever. So let's just stop the political posturing and, and come up with real border security and fund it. And uh, so but we're still in this argument about, you know, I want to build the wall. We're not going to let them build the wall as opposed to what can we do about making our borders more secure? And that's what it really should be all about. And, and before you go, you're obviously a, a cancer survivor. Um, a pretty, pretty incredible story. How, how does that affect your outlook on all this? Well, you know, uh, you, you had a really serious. Uh, yeah, thank serious you for bringing that up. I, 150 days into my being governor, um, I got hit with this incredibly uh, you know, shocking news that I had very advanced and very aggressive cancer spread all over my body. I went through 18 months of chemotherapy, um, six months of 24-hour day chemotherapy, which was you know tough. Um, but I came out of 100% cancer-free and in complete remission. I didn't get all my hair, so I have this <laughs> new tough guy look. I used to have beautiful locks of gray hair. I looked more like a politician before. Now I'm a wrestler, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it made me look at things differently. I, I, I got to understand how important this is and how it impacts families. And, uh, but also it, it made me appreciate that uh, you never know how much time you have and that we've got to take advantage of, uh, of every single day that we're given. And uh, so that's why I keep working hard and trying to make the most out of every day I've got. All right, Governor Larry Hogan, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Thank you very much. And that's all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. For Rick Klein, we'll see you again next time.